Welcome to episode 42 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, June 11th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both of the new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How are you doing today, Courtney? Oh my goodness, just fine. I guess I wanted to start this episode by addressing that it has been a difficult two weeks in this country. We generally record on Thursdays, and our episode comes out the following Wednesday. So our last episode came out in the midst of lots of difficult times, and we did not address that because we had already <clears throat> recorded. So we are addressing it now. We are in support of Black Lives Matter, and we are working to learn and read and hear and I personally have absorbed way more content than I have in a long, long time. But because I'm raising two boys in the middle of a city who, who have lots of interactions with lots of different people, I need to make a particular effort to help them understand what's going on. And, and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I think we're trying to listen and learn. Um, we haven't posted resources. That's not our area of expertise. Um, there are plenty of Knitters, I know, that are much more aware of what needs to be done, and we can point you to those resources. There are, there are plenty of resources to learn more on your own. Um, right. We'll continue to highlight artists of color as artists and makers. We've tried and to in the past, probably yeah. haven't done enough. But. Yeah. So that is our plan going forward. Please do contact us if you have any questions. That said, we will continue with a regular podcast. Try and be a little bit of escape if you need it. I think everyone needs to have to a find place. their yeah to find their joy in the midst of all of this, not just the political and racial climate that's happening. But hey, you know what? We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, <laughs> and that is why we are still doing this. Oh boy, so. yeah. So. Brief return to normalcy before we get back to the fight. We'll have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and then bingo because we are still in bingo season. On the needles, me. <laughs> I have been knitting hats. Actually, I'm going to talk about my first, well, one of my finished objects that was not a success, and I'm very sad. So we'll talk about it first and get it out of the way. So my lounging top by Hohi Locatelli in my lovely colorful yarn that I had repurposed from another top. It didn't work. The pattern was fine. I think I did not have enough yarn, so it is too short, and I didn't have enough to even finish the hem. And I think the sleeves, the way they're constructed, just look weird on me. So I tried it on. It does not look good. So I'm sad, but I need to figure out what I'm going to do with this project, but it is sitting in timeout. I will probably photograph it and put it on Ravelry and enter it in the splash pad party knit along from Boston Jen. But eventually I will probably have to rip it out again <laughs> and make something else with it. Well, so, I'm glad to hear that you're, you've already let go of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, cause I, I had some time to come to come to terms with this because as I was knitting it I was like "Ooh, I'm just not gonna have enough quite enough yarn and I knew I was gonna be close but I thought I would have enough because usually I end up with leftover yarn doing a project but not this time 
every once in a while it does not work out. So I think the other thing is that I will definitely need to reskein it and soak it to get all the, the kinks out of it. Cause when you unwind yarn, it likes to hold its knitted shape, which is not smooth and lovely, but I have never done that before. Really? So, yeah. Well, so, Monica, that's a, that's such an opportunity. That's a new technique. That's a bingo square. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> I definitely have thought about doing it before for other projects and just haven't. So yes. So I'll have to look into doing that, but I will need a thing to skein it on. And anyway, it's a project, but it will probably be worth doing because I like the yarn. It's, it's um, destination yarn trinket. It's her sport weight base. And it's such a fun summery colorway and I want to use it for something. I just don't know. I don't know what now. I still like the idea of making a t-shirt, but I will need a different pattern, but enough of that. I have hats. I'm back on track. I think with my hat donations, I did did I do one of these hats before? Oh, I talked about this one last time. So the June hat by Megan Kelly mm-hmm. is finished. And this is from the Kelborn Woolens Year of Hats. They released 12 free hat patterns a month. One, one a month, <laughs> not 12 patterns a month. One pattern a month for 12 months. Last year, a couple of years ago. And so this was the hat they released for June. And I used Cascade 220 Sport, because I'm trying to get it out of my stash in a blue and white. And so the, the brim is blue and then it's blue and white stripes all the way up with columns of the blue running vertically up it. Fun. So it's really cute. Yeah, so it was pretty easy. You just, the, the stripe part is, uh, or the, the column part is slip stitches. Yeah, so it turned out, it turned out cute. I'm really, really pleased with it. It was fairly mindless, which is always nice, but interesting enough to, to make me want to keep knitting it. So that was good. And that was the June hat by Megan Kelly. And then um, just yesterday, I think I finished the September hat by Carolyn Dick in Cascade 220 also. This <laughs> in my stash. And it's a great weight for hats. And it's super washed, so I don't have to worry about someone destroying their hat. And this is in the colorway Jet, which is like a really, really dark charcoal. This one is three by two ribbing with, oh, I guess it's the top part isn't ribbing. It has this interesting slip stitch pattern. Okay. So it looks so fancy and complicated and it really wasn't. So it kind of looks like it's got cables going on and I almost didn't make it when I saw the picture of it. It looks like it was just a simple ribbed hat. And then I got the pattern and started looking at the stitch pattern and realized what it was and started to make it. And it was kind of complicated at first, just getting into the rhythm of it. And I thought it would just be too much trouble for a, for what I was looking for, which is just a quick and easy hat I can knock out. But then I said, no, I'm going to try it, restarted it, and it looks really cool. So I'm pleased with this. Great. Um, yeah, and I finally finished that. So that one is done. And then I started the Everyday Line Tap by Denise Aaron, I think her name is. And that is also in Cascade 220 in a bright orange color called Blaze. Um, and this is the hat pattern that I emailed you about, so I have started it now. This is a really simple hat, but there's two cool things about it. It is top down, which I don't think I've ever... Ooh, so that's kind of a new technique. I might be able to count this one. <laughs> I don't think I've made a top down hat. Um, usually you start at the brim and work your way up. And 
it's always a little iffy if you're going to get it to fit exactly the right, like if you want it to hit your ears in a certain spot, or if you want, uh, you know, a really slouchy hat, or then you end up with like not enough slouch. Anyway, so if you do it this way, theoretically, you can get it to be exactly the right height for your head. So I'm kind of excited about that. And then it is also lined, so it involves sewing, which is why I texted Courtney because I don't sew. So she has graciously agreed to do the lining for me. And she said you can have it be kind of a silky lining um, if you have hair that tends to frizz when it's wearing a hat, or if you're sporty, you could do it fleece or something, you know, just to keep it warm. And so it's a really cool pattern. And she is a local artist as well. She's from, I think she lives in Oakland, um, but I met her briefly at Stitches West. Also, the friend I was with followed her on Instagram and saw her walking by on the floor was like, hey. And so they started chatting and, and I hadn't known her before then, so I started following her, and she has a very cool kind of structural and clean design aesthetic. I love the idea of lining it with silk so that it just doesn't mess up your hair. And, you you know, I just think that that's such a brilliant idea, or like a charmeuse or something like that. I think it could be super fun if you have a really simple hat, but then you could do a totally crazy lining. And yeah, I'm excited about that one, and that will go into the charity bin as well, what's her name again? Denise Bayron, B-A-Y-R-O-N. I want to look at the rest of her stuff because I loved that hat when, yeah. when you sent me the... Cool. And she's doing it along right now for the hat, which is also why I wanted to, Great. to do that. So it's, it's, uh, it's fun to be doing a, a newish pattern with lots of people. And that is everything that's on my needles. I've, you know, thinking about, I've got a couple of kits that came in that I had ordered a while ago. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting started on those at some point. And my husband has asked me to do a couple of baby hats for coworkers. So lots of hats in my future as well. Good. Oh, I have a knitting question. I am making a doll, which I've never done before. And I need to make a little sweater for her. Mm. And I don't know if I'm going to make a, use a patterned doll or if I'm just going to build my own pattern. So just kind so of be thinking. Are you sewing the doll? I'm going to sew the doll. And I want to knit a sweater. And I want to knit her a, sweat, a sweater because the recipient is a knitter, which yeah. that's ridiculous. That's like me giving a painting to... <laughs> some super famous painter no, but anyway I love, I love getting handed a gift because okay. I can totally appreciate how much effort went into it especially and, if it comes from me but I figure no, because because everyone has the same reaction right I'm like I'm not gonna paint Courtney a painting she like totally she's a painter she doesn't need that or she can paint for herself so yeah. it's it's extra special okay good so I I guess you know it's kind of crazy but I don't think it would be, you know, more than like two inches, like a, you know, four by uh, whatever, tiny. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm 95% sure there are patterns for dolls on Ravelry. It might actually yeah, be better like sample, if I... Well, no, but it's like sample sweater knitting and, I, and people will, I mean, they'll usually say like you can knit a baby sweater as you know as practice for learning but it's just it's smaller um and my gnome lady like i made she made sweaters for oh, her gnome yeah. so there's tiny things out there it's just it'll just be okay getting... i think I she think... said one thing about the gnomes is just the proportions are really weird so right. that'll be kind of part of it okay i'll i'll uh, look for that anyway so that's what's on the sewing machine 
I'll keep you posted. I've just begun to like sort of sketch out the doll body and how I want her hair. I don't know if I'm going to do it with yarn or just do like a, a cloth representation. I don't know yet. So we'll see. I like a lot of other artists. I muted my Instagram account in solidarity with amplifying melanated voices for the past week. And that was really good. And it allowed me to spend a lot of time looking at other Black artists and writers and just, like I said before, consuming a lot of content and appreciating what is out there. I found that the Smithsonian page to be really helpful source for the more canonized Black painters, but I'm also finding lots of other great Black painters and illustrators just thank goodness for the internet. So my IG was, my Instagram was a little bit quieter, and then I'm taking that Good Ship illustration class. Mm -hmm. It's called like Finding Your Creative Voice, I think, which the exercises are lots of sketching and drawing and that kind of thing. The whole point of last week was to just keep the life and animation in your sketches and have them carry through into your finished drawings. So I injured my finger, oh, no. my right index finger, and I am right-handed hmm. and I like can't bend. So... I'm having to draw without my index finger. And I have to say that the line quality is kind of, it's definitely more loose and it's, it has like a different feel to it because it's not my normal drawing. You know, it, it feels <laughs> a little hobbled, but in some ways it has a little bit more character or a different character. And so I'm really enjoying the sketches that are coming out of this class. And it's great to just be doing the work for myself and not feeling pressure to do anything with it. And I also finished the gouache grid from May. And okay. yeah, Daria and I decided that we weren't going to share them until sometime later this week, even though we're well into June just out of respect for what's going on. And I mean, it's, it came out pretty good. I'll sneak peek with you. Ooh. Oh, that's beautiful. So this is May gems. And I went with raw uncut gemstones. So how they appear when sort of chipped out of the earth. And, um, and I did them in sort of um, a rainbow fade because I knew or I thought we would be releasing it like at the end of May. And then I could say something about a nod towards Pride Month being mm -hmm. in June. But everything's jumbled. So um, I'm still going to do that when I release it. And it, I think it's just kind of fun because San Francisco is generally Pride Month here is pretty joyful. And who doesn't love a rainbow? I don't know when we'll do those that release, but then our word for June is produce, which I have interpreted as vegetables for the most part. Is an avocado a vegetable? I don't know. I think it's a fruit. Well, it's in there. So stone in the middle. Yeah. But I really want I really want to paint an avocado. So paint an avocado. You are the boss of your grid. 
Right, and it's in the produce. It's in the produce section, so I'm going for it. So that's June, which has lots of vegetables and and an avocado apparently. And I I take a lot of inspiration from my sisters and my friend Kelly's gardens, and their gardens are just sort of all of the sudden springing to life. And I'm so envious. And I killed all my seedlings, by the way. <laughs> all those kales. Nope. I don't know what I did. I don't know if I drowned them or I, I, I don't know, but I've eaten strawberries off my patio and the chives are going like gangbusters and the herbs, they're thirsty and I have to water them a lot. Yeah. Well, especially on the patio, you know, my built in greenhouse. So yeah, the seedlings didn't work, but the rest of it is. So there's that. According to Google, avocados are fruits and are technically considered a single seeded berry. Uh, nutritionally, avocados are more like a vegetable and are listed as such in the USDA sites. Well, that's just mixed messaging. I guess I get to draw an avocado for the... Uh, yeah, it's totally legit. <laughs> that is what has been on the easel. But oh, the part of the class is to do these imaginary sketches and maps, like a bird's eye view of your neighborhood. And oh. so I've been standing outside across the street from my house, drawing my house, and everybody wants to know what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong? What's going on? I'm like, nothing. I'm just drawing my house. It is the most foreign thing, I guess, to see somebody outside drawing, which makes me only want to go outside and draw 10 hours a day. People are, are they concerned so, that you're like casing the place? <laughs> I don't know. I always have a mask. Do they say on. what's wrong or do they ask what are you doing? No, the neighbor across the street asked me, is everything okay? Like, okay. what do you do? Oh, so yeah. Somebody knew who you were. Yeah, people who know who I am. Okay. Um, but I have been out drawing in the neighborhood a lot more than usual for this class. And it's just, it's really funny. Like some people avoid you all together and some people are super curious and it's just interesting. Yeah. So a t-shirt or something that says, it's okay. I'm an artist. <laughs> like a badge. Yeah. yeah. Artist in residence. Yeah. yeah. Good, good idea. All right. So on the table. So we heard a little bit about your, your produce adventures. I had one really good recipe. <laughs> that I wanted to talk about. It did the roasted cauliflower salad from Dinner Changing the Game by Melissa Clark, except I made it with broccoli. And you roast the broccoli or the cauliflower and you make a teeny dressing. And then you add chickpeas and avocado. And she called for watercress, which my store did not have. So I went with spinach. And it was pretty darn delicious, I gotta say. Um, the dressing I like, was super tangy. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Yeah, there's a lot of lemon in it as well. It was good, and yeah, so that one definitely is going on the list of to make again because it had a lot of lot of stuff, good stuff going on in there. And then what I wanted to talk about was what my boys have been cooking because it is summer. So they have been cooking. Yes, please. So it's great. And nobody's in camp because nobody's going anywhere. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to a full summer because I would give them the week off if they were in camp. It's usually nine to five and then they're going to come home and it would just be too much for all of us, quite frankly. They're not going anywhere this year. So I get a full summer of cooking. This year has been really interesting in terms of what they're choosing. 
because last year they had both had this one cookbook this year my younger son is kind of going for things that we know already that are kind of my back pocket recipes that then he can learn yeah that's great so which is super helpful totally valid way of doing it um so last week he did tacos which is you know just simple ground beef tacos the way my mom used to make (laughs) something i think that's interesting is when i take the taco shells and i warm them in the oven i always put cheese in them first and i did this one summer when we were back east for my in-laws and everyone thought it was the strangest thing they'd ever heard of they're like oh that's cool but We've never done that. So you get this nice layer of crispy melted cheese already inside your taco. I don't know if anybody else does that or if that was just something. No, just you. Yeah, but it's delicious. So that's our, ooh, does that make it a family heirloom recipe? (laughs) (laughs) Although technically I I didn't make it. I put a ball of tin foil inside each taco shell so that they stay wide open so that you can really super fill them. Oh, I just buy the stand and stuff ones now. Oh, <laughs> that seems to work. Yeah. Okay. And then last night he made pizza. Oh, we did pizza. Pizza's delicious, and uh-huh. right, like you've never made it because we're still we're trying to still not order things. So we had two sheet pans, two balls of dough that were split in two. So everybody got their own pizza. We had one tray that was gluten free, one was not. Simon and I were having the same thing, and the boys were having the same pizza. So we had one of each pizza on each uh-huh. pan. So it was kind of a head scratcher for the 14 year old, but he did it. it. It all worked out. It's pizza. It's not rocket science. Um, so they had all sorts of salami and pepperoni and lots of cheeses. And Simon and I went for an artichoke pizza from Dinner a Love Story, which is kind of her riff on the cheesy artichoke dip. Oh, like yeah. Yeah. So it's mayonnaise and chopped artichoke hearts and mozzarella cheese and Parmesan and so good. So good. So kind of like a white pizza. Um, And it turned out really well. It was, yeah, trying to figure out how to make the two different pans work because the doughs recommended different cooking temperatures and trying to work with him to see like, well, do you think the pizza dough, you know, does it look done? The toppings all bubbly, is the crust finished? So that was a good experience with him. Then my other one, he's sticking with recipes, but he's expanding his book choice and deciding what he wants to make and then finding a recipe for it. So things that he likes that maybe I don't make as much, although I definitely make steak. That was what he made the first time. This go round, we had shrimp scampi from Mad Hungry, which I think he was really intrigued by that book because her whole premise is lots of food for men and boys, um, which is one. Um, And then we also did fried catfish, deep fried catfish. I don't know why he loves it so much. I think we went to an outdoor seafood, casual seafood place when we were in Minnesota for a hockey tournament. And he had some there and loved it. Catfish is not my favorite of the fishes, but yeah, he loves it. Either. Okay. He was making it and it actually turned out quite well. So that was exciting. It was a cornmeal crust, deep fried. We served it with French fries and a salad. The husband got, I think we had some vegetable patties in the freezer. So we cooked those up for him and yeah, it was good. So the, they're, they are coming coming along in their culinary talents. It's great. That's awesome. I'm super envious. You know, it has not been without its um, struggles. <laughs> it yeah. definitely have, you know, they, it comes to the night when it's their turn and, and they always, it's kind of a shock every time. <laughs> and then we're going, you know, discussing the recipe and, and I'm like, okay, that's great. What is your father going to eat? And they're like, oh, 
<laughs> yes, this is how it yeah. works. <laughs> my world. Good. Unless you want to eat cereal for the rest of your life, you have to learn to think about these things. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? We, we've actually been cooking a fair bit. I, I don't know if we've announced that my father-in-law has joined our household. So we are a multi-generational household now. He does spend some time with my sister-in-law and then some time here. And we're not sure what the ratio is going to shake out to be, but he's definitely here a fair bit. And he loves mashed potatoes. There's just so many mashed potatoes that you can eat, really. And then what do you do with the leftovers? And so I made a new version of potato pancakes to have with some, I think it was roasted chicken that we had. And boy, they were absolutely delicious, but they were so soft. And I don't know how to help them. And I used really cold mashed potatoes, but they were just basically pan fried twice mashed potatoes or something like that. But the flavor was awesome. Really a lot of Parmesan cheese and they were just delicious. And then we made a big batch of green chicken enchiladas and they were, that was a really simple recipe. And I made my own salsa verde and just layered them with the tortillas and rolled them up and baked them off. That was a crowd pleaser. Everybody really liked that for the most part. We also had pizza night. I was going to make it with the sourdough and continue the sourdough nonsense, but I had made a different batch of the sourdough chocolate chip cookies the day before. And so we were kind of sourdoughed out for the week. So I bought the, is it Limonica? I think is the brand of sour of um, pizza crust. You can get it over at Molly Stones and they do a white flour, a regular flour one, and then they do a whole wheat one. And so I bought one whole wheat and two of the plain for the boys and we rolled them out and I have a pizza stone. Hmm. And because we aren't gluten-free, it's a free-for-all in my oven. You can just chuck it all in, whatever. I got that thing just blistering hot. And I, we make them so big, I par-baked the pizza crust and then pulled it out. And then each kid could decorate, decorate, build his own pizza. And then they're kind of easier to put back in. But I do realize that I would definitely use a pizza peel if I had one you know, a short handled one would be really great. And we like varying thicknesses of the pizza crust. And so, you know, having the ability to control that was really good. The whole wheat crust was exceptional. We rolled it out really thin and it sort of fell over the edge of the pizza stone a little bit, but it almost made for this like delicious lacy edge to the crust. So it was not a problem. We are not insane with our toppings. The One kid wanted salami, one kid wanted ground beef, and we did a lot of mushrooms and green onions and a little bit of salami on ours. So really simple. But the crowning achievement was on Sunday, I really wanted, and I never know how to pronounce this right, it's that Greek gyro, the gyro, there's a place over in Mission Bay that makes amazing ones, but they are closed on weekends. And so, so I went to the store and I got all the ingredients and I made my own and they were pretty good. 
So Wait, you the meat you used. I used chicken and I made I marinated I think it. Of it as being lamb and I know that's not gonna fly. Nope. I did chicken happily with the whole Greek yogurt and lemons and garlic and lots of olive oil and let it marinate for a couple of hours. And then I made my own tzatziki sauce with a grated, finely grated Persian cucumber in there. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Kind of garlicky for me, but really good. And then I found these flatbreads at Whole Foods. I could probably make my own because of that great flatbread recipe that was in the, the Christopher Kimball cookbook, the Tuesday night that had some awesome flatbread recipes that I would do next time. But I warmed up the flatbread in the oven, spritzed it with a little water and just let them get really soft and perfect. And then we layered in the chicken and the tzatziki sauce and a little bit of mint and wow, they were so good. It made me think of my sister who loves Mediterranean food and it was a surprise out of nowhere recipe that I will definitely make again. So I was really excited about that. Cool. And I, and I did try another round of um, two-year sourdough chocolate chip cookie, but I'm, I'm kind of over the sourdough right now. Oh man, it's like another child. You still <laughs> have it? Oh yeah. Do you need some? No. <laughs> Obviously not. Hey, if you're a local to San Francisco and you need some sourdough starter, let me know. They're like gremlins. <laughs> you're going to be out on a street corner. Need some sourdough? I know. I should keep it in my uh, sketch bag so that when people come yes. up to me and say, is anything wrong? I can hand yes, them some sourdough. too much sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> can you help me? Exactly. Oh. Okay. What you reading? What am I reading? Hello, books. On the nightstand. I had a pretty good uh, session these past two weeks. I'm pleased. I'm going to do them in reverse order because the last one was, the first one that I read was my favorite. So I'm going to build to a crescendo. So the one I just finished is Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld, which is an alternate history pseudo memoir of Hillary Rodham, who did not marry Bill Clinton her law school boyfriend and how her life went on from there. I liked it much more as it went on. It was definitely plot heavy, which was good. So it was super easy to pick up. I think my problems with it were <laughs> issues that I had not with the writing or anything. I generally am not super fond of memoirs. They always feel kind of stilted and like a biography I'm okay with. An autobiography always feels off to me. And this really felt like an autobiography or a memoir. So in that way, the author totally got it right. <laughs> but it just, the tone of it kind of wasn't my favorite writing style. And there was a lot of sex at the beginning, which seemed really weird for a memoir. So in many ways, it just didn't feel accurate. Once we got past that, it was awesome. She did the typical thing where it's sort of the same people that are in her real life peer in this alternate life and how it all would be different. And um, I don't want to say too much in case people want to read it because the changes are part of the joy of that book and seeing what she does with it. So that was Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. Before that, I read Beach Read by Emily Henry, which is a romance, although veering more towards Hallmark Channel. I mean, it was definitely a romance. There are two people, they meet, it's all cute, shenanigans ensue, and you know they're going to get together. It was a little more emotionally intense than what I would consider a traditional romance. 
Our heroine January is 29 years old and she is a New York Times bestselling romance or women's fiction writer. And her life in the past year has kind of fallen apart. So she decides to retreat to the lake house that her father has left her. She has a book deadline that she's missed, so she needs to take the summer, get her act together, knock out this book. But it turns out her neighbor in this small town is her college rival. He is also a New York Times bestselling author, but he does literary fiction a la Jonathan Franzen. So very different types. And in college, they would be in the same writing workshops. And she always felt that he only critiqued her, never said anything useful, and just generally looked down on her writing style. And still feels that. They run into each other, get chatting. A lot of it still seems the same. Turns out he's having writer's block as well. So they place a bet. They're each going to write a novel in the style of the other person. Whoever sells it first will win. And the other person has to promote it on book tour. That's adorable. So it was totally adorable. Lots of shenanigans. They go on field trips for research purposes and it's very cute. And she has a lot of personal stuff going on. That's why she's having the writer's block and trying to get her life back together. So yeah, so there was a lot of stuff going on. It was really cute. And that was Beach Read by Emily Henry. And before that, I read The Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Oh, which oh, is, that is in my um, library queue, you know, in perpetual hold. I realized there, there were a ton of books, and I can't remember if I said this, there were a ton of books I had that I put on hold kind of when I first got noticed they'd be coming out. They were all in hardcover. And I just went back recently and realized a lot of them are out on ebook now. And this was one of them. So I said, oh, I want it on ebook because then I can actually get it. Um, so this I got on ebook. It was very exciting. So it's a magical murder mystery. Our heroine is Alex, which is actually short for Galaxy, but she doesn't tell anybody that. And she can see ghosts, which gets her a full scholarship to Yale to be part of the Ninth House. Yale has, in the real world, they do have various societies. And in this version, the societies are all magically based. They each have a specialty in magic that helps their alums maintain wealth and power. And the Ninth House is tasked with making sure the magic does not get out of control and hurt others or themselves. So she's recruited to the Ninth House and it opens with something has gone terribly wrong. She's by herself. She's hurt. And that's in the spring of her freshman year. And so the book goes back in time to how how she got there, as books tend to do, because nobody seems to write books that just go in a straightforward manner anymore. Very few. So I, I really liked it. It was definitely kind of darker than I expected. And more of the murder mystery, the magic is almost secondary mm-hmm. to, the, to the plot. The jumping around was a little bit confusing and I'm usually able to keep up with that pretty well. But it starts off in the spring. There's like, you know, the, the opening chapters in the spring and then it goes back to both the fall and then midwinter. So fall when she arrives in school and starts learning about everything. And then midwinter when things start going wrong. And it keeps jumping back between those times. And then at one point goes all the way back to we get her whole backstory from before she arrived in New Haven. And so there's a lot of a lot of jumping around and you have to remember like what she knew at certain points and who knows what and where, where are we now? And so it, that was a little bit confusing, but she's a really interesting character. The being able to see ghosts been obviously very difficult for her her whole life because nobody believes her and she can't really talk about it and mostly it's okay but some of them are pretty scary yeah so it has caused her to make some poor life choices so she's a really interesting character and 
yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I think there's a second, she's totally set it up for a sequel. So I would be interested to see that when it, when it comes out, but. It uh, gets such good reviews. I can't wait. I did not realize it was such a murder mystery. That part is really the basis of the story and the, the magic stuff is really kind of, it's definitely part of it. I mean, the whole world is steeped in that, but it's just an extra part of the investigation. Not really. That's not, not the main that's part. That's kind of how I understood the, the trajectory of the book. And when I saw a preview for a show on that Acorn channel, which I do not have a subscription to, I sent you the link to it and it was about ghosts and Victorian times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it made me think of that book for some reason, a book I haven't yet read, but it's been so well reviewed that I'm excited for it. Although yeah, I think I have to wait. You could get it on ebook. I don't read on those things. I know. Well, then I you have to wait. No, I need pages. Okay. I might have to just buy it. I'm just waiting patiently for a bunch of books to come in from Omnivore and the bookseller and mm. Les Portal because... I feel like it's super important to support those little places that I love. Yeah, I used a local bookstore to get my books for my book clubs because I rather would have the actual books so I can make notes. Yeah, Yeah, that helps to be able to go back. So now I just need to actually read them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then the final one was The Water Dancer by Tana Hissi which was so good. Oh my gosh. Oh, Such good. A beautiful book. I have that one coming. This was another one that I had reserved on hardcover and then realized, oh, it is actually an ebook. So I think it just takes the library a little bit longer to get the ebooks. So I will have to remember that for future reference. So it reminds me a lot of Underground Railroad by um, Colson White. Colson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that same kind of time period, deals with the actual Underground Railroad, but with a little magical realism. Our hero is um, our hero is Hiram Walker, who is born enslaved in Virginia in, well, obviously before the Civil War. His mother is sold and he is actually the son of the owner. He is super smart and his father brings him into the house and has him work for his older brother, who is the quote legitimate son. Turns out he has a power that allows him to transport himself over long distances, which he doesn't fully understand how it works. And so part of the book is him learning how to control that. There's so much more to it than that. He eventually grows up and decides to try and escape. And it goes on from there. He meets Harriet Tubman, which is kind of awesome. It was interesting in that I feel like it mostly dealt with the emotional aspects of slavery and not so much the physical. definitely a discussion of the physical abuse inflicted, but it's not the main focus. Okay. Um, It's a lot about, you know, how these families are torn apart and they lose their history. They lose sense of who they are um, and trying to hold on to that and be your own person in this environment. And even once they do, if they are able to escape um, and create new lives for themselves, still that sense of loss and the people that are, aren't able to escape what it does to them as well. It was, it was an emotional hard read, um, especially mm. in the wake of the murders, but it was a really powerful book, well-written and yeah, I really, I enjoy, is, feels like an odd word to use with that book, but it was. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, but, but I did definitely highly recommend that one. Well, good, it's on its way to my yes. house. Oh, and that, that was. That's, <laughs> that's, that's your list, okay. That's my list. 
I did some interesting reading. I'm pretty much out of unread books around here at this wow. point. Yeah. And I've combed through my shelves. I thought I, I thought I had more. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing a little rereading and I reread this week, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison and The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. Oh. The Bluest Eye, I have not read since college. It, it's a heartbreaking book. It's told in a really interesting perspective of a young black girl. They're in Ohio during the 1940s, and they come from a good little family. She and her sister and her mom and her dad. But they are not the main focus of the story. She's watching this other family, and this other family is an extreme of the community. They're poor. The father is abusive and he's an alcoholic. And there's a lot of discussion about what is beautiful and what is ugly. This is the Breedlove family. And the mother works as a housekeeper in a white family's household. And the white family is incredibly benevolent and she adores their daughter and she thinks of their kitchen as her own and she's very protective of mrs breedlove is very protective of that white family realm to the cost of her own daughter in a way it's a really difficult read even now especially now i don't know i think it's always been a difficult read and the afterward where morrison is discussing that she was trying to set up uh, this dichotomy between extremes and like the beautiful and the ugly and that kind of thing was part of her goal with the story. So it's not an easy book, but worth, I mean, it's incredibly well written. The Joy Luck Club was one that one of my sons had read for school this year in his English class. Toni Morrison wrote The Bluest Eye in, in 1980, and then The Joy Luck, sorry, 1970, and Joy Luck Club was published in 1986, and Amy Tan is a San Francisco Bay Area native, and she wrote a book about four Chinese American women and their experience with living in the Bay Area which I thought was going to be a completely divergent narrative than The Bluest Eye. And I think what really struck me was, was the similarities between these two books and how that sense of otherness in America is really profound for people of color. One thing that both books shared, there were, and there are many commonalities, but one was this this white, blonde, blue-eyed doll and how that was a standard of beauty. And to see it in these two books from these two different cultures, from these two different women, I just thought that was really profound. And that's partly why I'm making a doll. So nice. Joy Luck Club is a, is a tapestry of four different characters who immigrate to the United States and raise their families here and what they left behind and what they think they're going to find. Everybody has a different story there and it's weaving them together in a way that 
helps ground their American hopes and dreams and disappointments. And it's just, I, I just think it's such an exceptional book. And my kid had initially had a really hard time with it and didn't understand why he was reading about these four Chinese women. And then I reminded him that everybody comes to America for a different reason. And, and he had to do this really interesting assignment after reading Joy Luck Club where he had to interview someone in the family or someone in our life who was an immigrant. And I think he got a tremendous amount out of the assignment and saw the book in a whole new light. And it sort of helped him understand friends whose parents have different expectations of them than we have of him. Not, not better or worse, just different. So it was really worthwhile. And I'm so glad that I reread that. And then I read The Third Rainbow Girl. This was my this is my very last library book that I didn't yeah. think I was into. It's an Emma Copley Eisenberg. It might be Copley, but I grew up near Boston, so Copley it is. That's fair. Um, and this is a, a reportage slash memoir of these murders that took place in Appalachia in the 1980s the rainbow group or the rainbow tribe or whatever they were called was this sort of hippie group that believed in, you know, peace, love, and chewing gum. I'm, I'm grossly simplifying their mission. I don't really know that much about them. And there's not a tremendous amount in the book. The book mostly focused on how these three girls hitchhiked from the southwestern United States to the mountains of West Virginia for this rainbow group meeting and two of them were murdered and the case took 12 13 years to solve and it was chalked up to it being ineffective police investigations and just sort of jumping to conclusions and assumptions about these women who were hitchhikers and what kind of girl hitchhikes when back then it was a lot more common than it is now. It confronts a lot of stereotypes at the time. The interesting part about the book, interesting being, or I don't know if interesting is the right word, but is the memoir sort of wedged into this reportage nonfiction piece. The author had spent time in this area, and I don't know if her original stint there doing work at Teenage Outreach. I don't know if she knew about the murders when a decade later she was doing her community service work there. There's an awful lot of personal memoir about her own struggles that are embedded in the story of these murders. I think what she's trying to go for was that the world was really compelled by these murders because they were, they were two white women. And it's that Gwen Eiffel was credited for calling it the missing white woman syndrome, you know, where everybody just, well, what happened? And, and I think that she was trying to get a, a handle on that piece of it while also trying to figure out her own self and how, how her life was going. It didn't quite land with me. I read the book because I wanted to find out, or I stuck with the book because I wanted to find out who the third rainbow girl was. 
there are two girls in their 20s who are murdered. In the end, apparently, they had been hitchhiking with a third girl. It's her story and it's the author's story that you can kind of insert that third rainbow narrative with, I guess. I don't know. I was a little disappointed with that book, but I was also kind of curious and I'm out of books. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. What What a terrible ending to the book thing, except that I did find an awesome Instagram page called Diverse Spines this week. Hmm. And it's literature by black women and women of color. And they have a book list and you can find it by looking at the hashtag diverse spines reading challenge. Oh, cool. And, and it lists a lot of the books that you would expect to find in a diverse reading challenge list, but also some quieter ones that I wasn't aware of that I want to add to my list. So that maybe folds into bingo. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So we'll, we'll go over the rules again, super briefly, if you want a full kind of rundown um, the past two episodes. So 40 and 41, I think we talk about it, especially 41. We talk about all the, all the details. Basically we started uh, Friday evening, May 22nd, and we'll run through September 7th, which is Labor Day here in the U S. So you have, a lot of time. You need a bingo card. You can get that on our Instagram feed by doing a screenshot. The card is in our highlight Um, and then you can play with the screenshot or you can send us a message with your email address to either Ravelry or Instagram or email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com and we will email you a pdf but we do need an actual email address unless somebody knows a way to send attachments <laughs> through instagram or ravelry which i do not so or you can just, just grab a screenshot that works for us and so the only other real rule is that we do if you want to enter for prizes or prize we have one grand prize at this point which we're still assembling and <laughs> we'll figure it out we do need you to post a photo of your bingo card with the completed row on Instagram would have the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2020. You can also post it. There's a thread in our Ravelry group. Other than that, we would love to see photos of what you've been crafting and cooking and and reading and and anything else related to the Summer Bingo, but that is optional. And I know some people have been working on it because we've had, we've seen some photos and we've, we've heard talk. Very exciting things. We've clarified some of our squares Basically, you can be very creative with your (laughs) interpretation. But the one that we get the most questions about is that make a refrigerator or freezer recipe, which is basically anything you don't have to cook, like a refrigerator cake or homemade ice cream or popsicles or a salad or... I did a chocolatey tres leches cake. Well, so there is cooking involved, but then you put all the milks on top and let it soak. And that was pretty delicious. That was from the Simple Cake book that I have talked about before. So it's a traditional tres leches, but you use chocolate cake instead of vanilla cake. And it was interesting. And once again, I did not let it sit long enough. So it was not as awesome as it could be. It's really hard to like make a cake and then tell your family, oh no, you can't eat it until tomorrow. So... (laughs) I have not done that. You have to make it really early in the day. Yeah, but then, <laughs> but then I have to make it really early in the day. 
Yeah. I'm not there yet. But yeah. And we have a friend who her daughter is totally into this, actually. They, they both are doing the bingo, um, but she found a recipe for chocolate mousse. So that would be in the fridge. And she found it in her Disneyland cookbook. So she will be double dipping on that one with her, her Disney recipe. So well done. Which there. is, which is allowed. We're not strict. Oh yeah, totally. That's awesome. Monica, in fact, loves the double dipping. As many as possible. Triple dip if you can figure it out too. My what mom. else did you, what else did you fill in on your bingo sheet this week? Water Dancer is by an author of color. So I got that checked off. I think those were the only two. I definitely have done some more planning. My my dog threw up on my bed, so we <laughs> had to wash the duvet cover, and a button fell off. So I have to sew that back on. So that'll be my repair square. Very excited. <laughs> so that was the, the ray of sunshine in that disaster in the middle of the night. What else? My Antonia came in from the library, and that was a book <gasps> you read. So, yep. And that also, talking of double dipping, is my um, book that I did not read in high school for the Modern Mrs. Darcy yearly read-along checklist. Excellent. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I read The Bluest Eye, of course, which was published in the decade I was born. It's older than I am, officially, so representing the 1970s, although there are a bunch of great books that were published in the 70s that I've obviously never read. It's a great decade. Yeah, I might revisit that square because I'm all about maximalism. I also read The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan, who is an author of color. That was 1986, in case you're really young and you need something from the 80s. I think people from the 80s aren't really young anymore, are they? They're younger than me. (laughs) And then I have a book coming, a cookbook coming, that I'm really excited to cook my three recipes from so do we get to know what it is is it a secret i think i'll keep it a secret in case i don't like it (laughs) oh fair enough which i mean i wasn't able to kind of peruse it i'm going off of a million recommendations but a million recommendations that i kind of trust so we'll see fair enough you could and i know you don't like ebooks you could get it from the library as an ebook just to kind of skim it oh that's a good idea and not actually cook from it because cooking from an ebook is not not ideal Okay. But possible. Can you print a page from an ebook, a recipe? No. I mean, I guess you could like screenshot it, and but I don't think they want you printing ebooks. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then we had um, Stephanie. I think it's Stephanie Eddy on Instagram who posted the the most summer-looking photo that I have seen in a very long time. Uh, (laughs) A tree grows in Brooklyn. So. Oh yes. The one and she had this hat and a nice fruity looking drink and it was awesome. And I love that book. Yeah. And there's been so many of you that have been emailing to us for bingo cards and excited to play along. And we've been chatting on the Ravelry group about what people have been, been doing. And so, yeah, so it's, I think we're off to a good start. We have plenty Super. of time. Although my husband kept saying, oh, I need these baby hats for July. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, sure. July is so far away. And then I realized, oh no, it's June. And it's yeah. like the middle of June now. So tell me about it. Oh. Although this summer can just, ugh, I'm, we're strapped in for the long haul. Yep. Yep. This is true. All right. Keep bingoing and make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Uh, nutritionally, avocados are more like a vegetable and are listed as such in the USDA sites. Well, that's just mixed messaging.
something for Ooh. what is an avocado considered? Would that help? <laughs> Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF. That's C O R T N E Y S F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M A G D O N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.